Uh, good morning again, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. Love you guys. Glad you're there. Everybody connecting with us online. We're so happy that you can connect with us online. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you've got any questions or comments, just uh, uh, in the chat feature there, you can always message us there. Uh, and uh, we're happy to follow up with you. And uh, we're just glad you could be a part of our service today online. We are finishing up a series we've been doing. This is the 12th week of this series, Breaking Bad Habits. And this is the last message in the series. We've been looking at different habits every week and seeing what God has to say about it. And usually those habits are something that we do that we either should or shouldn't be doing. So you either have to correct the bad habit that you've been doing or replace it with a better habit. But habits can also be what you're not doing that you should be doing. Uh, you've gotten into this habit of not doing the things you know God wants you to do. And prayer is one of those things that we know God says clearly should be a regular part of our lives, but we don't always pray like we should. Uh, I titled the message prayerlessness. The truth is, I don't think that's a real word. Uh, if you look it up, it's probably not you know, accurate in the English language to say prayerlessness. But you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm the preacher. I can make up words. So, uh, so I just made this one up. Prayerlessness means, you know, not having prayer in your life the way you should. And I think there are a lot of reasons we don't pray like we should pray. And, and we'll be talking about those today and what we could do, how we can correct the habit of not praying like we should. Uh, but sometimes it's because we really don't know how we feel like we don't know how to pray. Now, we've been convinced maybe. We, what we know about prayer usually is just what we've heard other people do, right? That's, that's how you first get exposed to prayer is you hear somebody else pray. And depending on the example that you had, you may have had a great example and, and you can follow that example, but you may not have had very good examples of prayer in your life. I love that clip from Meet the Parents where he's asked to say grace or say the blessing at the meal. It's obvious this guy doesn't pray regularly, right? At, especially at the meal and for the meal. He was not comfortable with prayer. And for us as Christ followers, we should certainly be more comfortable with prayer. So I wanted to take one of these weeks this week and talk about prayer and how we can uh, take some steps to incorporate it more into the rhythm of our lives the way God encourages us to. Uh, you may uh, remember the story of a guy uh, who went to a tent revival. It was one of those, uh, you know, where they used to go around, set up tents, and they'd have these, this preaching and singing and everything that would go on. And, and sometimes they would be somewhat more charismatic, and they would call people up for prayer for healing. Well, this guy named Larry was at a, a prayer revival like that, a tent revival like that. And at the end of the message that night, they asked for people to come up front who needed to be prayed over. And, and he went right up front and waited in line with others that had gone up front. And finally, when he got to the preacher, the preacher said, well, well, sir, what would you like for me to pray for for you? He said, I'd like for you to pray for my hearing. And the pastor said, all right, I'll be happy to do that. And he said, just get on your knees right here. And he put his hands over his ears and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he jumped back after he hit him on the side of the head there. And he said, how's your hearing now? He says, I don't know, pastor. It's not till next Wednesday. See, sometimes there's a misunderstanding, right, about prayer and about how you need to pray and what you need to pray for. And so I want us to go to God's Word as we do with all of these subjects. If you've missed any of these, they're on our YouTube page, YouTube channel. If you haven't followed us or subscribed to our YouTube channel, go ahead and do that. And all of these are there. You can go back and go through any of them that you missed or want to review. But with this one, it's about... It's about this idea of a habit that we should develop, that, that we should have already developed more probably than, than all of us have, but, but something we can't improve on. There, there are practical steps we could take. Now, here's why this is such a big deal. The scripture is full of promises connected to prayer of God's people. I mean, promise after promise after promise. Prayer is how we tap into the power and the presence and the provision of the God of the universe who loves us and who wants to help us. One of those great promises is one that uh, is found back in 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It says this, If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, here's the promise. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. What a powerful promise connected to prayer. That promise encapsulates all of God's promises in response to the prayers of his people. But it also encapsulates the approach we need to have with God when we come to him in prayer. There's a humility that needs to be there. There's a recognition of who God is there. There's, there's so many things there that, that there's turning from our sin, the wicked ways of our lives. All of that is, is in the way we need to approach God in prayer to be connected to the promises of God in prayer. So I want us to look today at four steps we could take to help us do better with this, to help us make prayer more the rhythm of our lives that God wants it to be. Because I know this, we, we don't want to leave God's promises out there unasked for, un, unapproached for. Uh, we, we don't want God to be there saying, here, I'm just waiting on you to ask. I've got, these, I've got these blessings. I've got this strength. I've got this peace. I've got this joy. I'm ready to give it to you, but you need to come and ask. And, and I don't want to leave that out there without asking, do you? I want, I want to approach him in the best way that I can. And I think you do too. So let's, let's look at these steps. The first step, I think, is, is clearly seen in this passage and others in Scripture, is that, is that a good start would be to identify your obstacles to praying like you need to pray. Identify your obstacles. What is it that's keeping you from having an effective prayer life? And most of us, when I say that, myself included, would start thinking of things like, well, too many interruptions, too busy a schedule, Here's what I want you to understand. We'll deal with that one in a minute, but it's a lame excuse to start with. Uh, that's not really an obstacle to prayer. How many hours are there in a day? 24. Is that true for everybody? You have 24-hour days, the way we measure it, right? I have 24-hour days. You know what gets done in those 24 hours? What we decide to prioritize. That's what gets done in the 24 hours that we have. Whatever you prioritize is what you end up doing. You say, no, 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 prayer is a priority for me. Well, if, if prayer is a priority for you, guess what will be part of the 24 hours? Prayer. You say, well, I can't control all the other stuff that happens. No, but you still have 24 hours, and you can still choose what you're going to do with 24 hours. You have that freedom. So, so I, we're going to talk about time in just a minute, but, but that's not the obstacle I'm talking about. The Scripture talks about some other obstacles because God knows that's not a legitimate obstacle. But it does talk about some other obstacles to praying like we need to pray. One of the obstacles is to having an effective prayer life is we pray with wrong motives all the time. Uh, he talks about it in James chapter 4. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Maybe there's a problem with our prayer life because of the motives of our prayer life. Maybe, maybe we're not praying as often as we should, but even when we do, we're praying with the wrong motives. And he tells us the wrong motive here in the very next part of that verse. You ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That verse could be taken out of context and made to say a lot of things it doesn't really say. God's not saying you shouldn't pray for good things and you shouldn't ask God for things that you enjoy. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the selfish inward focus of most of our prayers. Because if we're not praying as God wants us to pray, then it's usually pretty sporadic. And what is it that usually spurs us to pray when it's not a regular part of our lives? We need something from God, right? Then we think about prayer. Then all of a sudden prayer becomes a priority. Especially if it's something we realize we've done everything we can and we can't get what we want on our own. So now as a last resort, what are we going to do? We're going to go ask God to take care of this for us. 
provide what we want for us. And usually it's done with the motive, if it's this kind of motive that he's talking about in this passage, it's not even, I know this is your will for me, Father, because I've gone to your word and I've, I've sought your counsel and your wisdom. No, it's, I just feel like I want this and I need this. So I'm going to ask you for it. You see the difference there? You're not really seeking God for his will. You're seeking God for his gift, what he can give you, what he can do for you. And, and when we pray and, and, and go to God, what we should be saying, according to the passage we read earlier in the Old Testament, is we recognize that God is the only one who knows what's best, who can provide exactly what needs to be provided, and that we're not the ones who know that. We don't have that wisdom, that, that insight that God has. So, so we need to be willing to identify the fact that some, one of the obstacles to having a good prayer life is that we're praying with the wrong motives when we pray. Our prayers shouldn't just be driven by, oh, I'm going to pray now because I want something. But what about the other hours and days of your life? Have you prayed then at all? Or has it only been when you wanted something for yourself from God? Another obstacle the scripture talks about in several passages is a sinful lifestyle. A sinful lifestyle is always an obstacle to praying the way God wants you to pray. See, prayer takes you into whose presence? God, do you want to take your sin into the presence of God? No, nobody does. And so that puts an obstacle between us and a holy God if we're choosing to willfully go on sinning then it's hard to go into God's presence and feel comfortable there and feel welcome there. The prophet Isaiah spoke of that in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. They were wondering why their prayers weren't being answered. He's giving them the answer. Listen, here's the answer. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. People say God hears every prayer. That's not what the scripture says. In the sense of answering it, hearing it favorably, he doesn't. Now he hears it. He knows what you've said. It's not like you can say anything without God hearing what you said. But he doesn't hear every prayer the same. He doesn't hear every prayer with the same favor. And one of the things that will keep us from having the favor of God as we pray is that we are willfully choosing to go on sinning and rebelling against the God that we're praying to. We've got a lot of parents hearing the message today. When your kids are in open rebellion against you, do you feel good when they come and ask you to do something else for them? When they haven't been living at all or, or respecting you or obeying you, or uh, do you feel good about saying, oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that for you. I'll give you that. No, you don't, do you? Well, God's our Father. And when we're openly rebelling against Him, willfully choosing to live outside His will for our lives, and we run to Him every time we need something to say, give me this and give me that, God doesn't look at that with His favor at all. And so maybe one of the reasons our prayer lives aren't real effective is we're will, willfully choosing to live outside God's will in our lives. We're living a sinful lifestyle. Not that anybody's without sin. That's not what this passage means. It means a willful choice to keep on sinning while you're still going to God and asking God to take care of you and provide for you. That's the difference. You see, those are the two main obstacles we see in Scripture to having a prayer life the way God wants us to have a prayer life. As, as making it the rhythm of our lives. We're praying with wrong motives when we do pray, and we're living a sinful lifestyle while we're praying and asking God to bless us. I can't tell you how many people I deal with as a pastor who, who, are, who are asking God to bless their lives and want God to bless their lives, but who are living a sinful lifestyle the whole time. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. He's not going to let you mock him and not listen to what he teaches about how to live your life and still turn around and bless that. God 
is a holy God. He never welcomes sin into his presence and he never blesses sin. Ever. He just doesn't bless sin. He's a holy God. And so if we're going to willfully choose to go on sinning, then we can't expect God to hear our prayers favorably in a way that he's going to answer them favorably and give us what we're asking for. So I think we need to be honest about identifying what are the obstacles in our lives to prayer. Now, both of those obstacles can be changed. We can, we can get rid of those obstacles, can't we? Uh, when, when we're talking about those obstacles, well, let's talk about asking with wrong motives. Well, what can you do? You can change the motives for your prayers, right? You can start being more outward focused. You can start thinking of others ahead of yourselves. You can start thinking more of God's will and God's kingdom and what's good for God's work on earth instead of just what you want. You see, we can do that. We can make that change and create a better habit, can't we? Instead of continuing to pray with the wrong motives. The other thing we could do if we're living a sinful lifestyle, God's word is full of this word, repent. Let's turn away from the sinful lifestyle if we want to invite God's favor and blessing into our lives. Let's stop willfully choosing to go on sinning before God. And again, it doesn't mean you never mess up again. It means you're not welcoming sin anymore. You're not willfully choosing that lifestyle before God anymore so that we can live in the presence of a holy God with God's favor on us. If we've never accepted Christ as Savior, right? That's a step to take. Allow Him to wash us, make us clean, uh, be baptized into Christ, rise to that new walk of life. And then if we sin after that, it's, it's a repenting and seeking His forgiveness and changing our lifestyle so that we could be in God's favor uh, when we pray our prayers. So that's the first thing. Identify your obstacles, and you could do something about it if you could identify them, right? You could, you could make some changes in your life. And those are the biggest scriptural obstacles. The second step that we could take is this. We use the excuse, so let's talk about it. Schedule time to pray. Schedule time to pray. I'm just so busy. I know you don't think I am. I'm a pastor. I work one day a week, but... <laughs> But I work the other days, and I'm busy too, and we have family and family obligations and other things that we have to take care of during the week. We're pretty busy people, Sue Ann and I. I know you're busy too, and I'm not trying to compare. This is not a competition. Some people are busier than me probably. That's fine. We're, we're all busy people most likely in some way or another. Does being busy excuse you from scheduling a time to pray? No, it does not. Yeah, let's stop making that excuse. The busiest person I know you read about in Scripture was Jesus, right? He, he came to the earth. He had, he had a limited amount of time he knew while he was here to accomplish all that the Father sent him here to accomplish. There was a lot to do in a short period of time. Most people don't realize this. We read about Jesus in Scripture. His public ministry only lasted three years while he was here. And in three years, he had to do all the work of that public ministry to prepare this group of men that he was mentoring and training to, to establish the church after he left and, 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 and allow it to be the church that God wanted it to be, the Father wanted it to be. He had to get them ready for that. And in the middle of all of that, he had to face all the opposition that he was facing and all the attacks that he was facing. In addition to that, he had the people that were not faithful and would turn their back on him and would leave him and hurt him. He had all of that. He had... You can name anything you've had to deal with, and he was dealing with it in that short period of time, trying to get everything done that the Father sent him here to do. But he made time to pray. He made time to pray. In Luke 5, verse 15, it says this about Jesus. This is early on in his ministry. He's done some miracles now. He's done some of his teaching. He's beginning to, to attract crowds now, it says. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But look at verse 16. But Jesus, what's that next word? Often did what? He withdrew to lonely places and did what? Prayed. Oh, don't you think he had other stuff he could have been doing? Don't you think there were other needs that were pressing? 
Don't you think people were clamoring to see him and have some time with him, have an audience with him, and have him heal somebody that they loved? Don't you think there was always demand after demand after demand on Jesus? But what did he make time to do regularly? Pray. He didn't neglect that. He understood the importance of it, the value of it, the blessing of it. So next time you start to say, I'm just so busy, I can't work in any prayers, think about Jesus again. <laughs> what an example he set for us, right? He made time not just to, to pray, but to, to actually unplug from everything else and go somewhere where he could focus on prayer. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to do that to pray every time, but uh, that's part of how we can develop a deeper prayer life is making time where we actually unplug from other things and go somewhere where we can have that uh, most of the time uninterrupted time with God in prayer. Now, that's not the only time you can pray, but that's a valuable part of a rhythm of life and having a prayer life like you need to. It also says in Scripture that he fasted regularly. So, so you can combine those two, right, fasting and prayer together, and that gives you an even greater and more intense focus on the prayer time that you're having. See, fasting is not meant to, to brag about, let everybody know about, and it's not just a weight loss program like some people are trying to use it today, right, the intermittent fasting to lose weight and all that. Uh, that I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's not what we're talking about in Scripture here. In Scripture, the fasting was to get your focus off of other things like eating and getting the meals ready and, all, and focus more than on concentrated prayer, communicating with the Father and letting the Father communicate with you fasting and praying. In Scripture, it says, you know, if you're fasting, don't make a show out of it either. It should be something between you and the Father. And if you're fasting, you don't have to go around telling anybody, oh, no, I can't have that today. I'm fasting. You know, you, you don't even have to tell them that, right? Yes, no, thanks. I'm not hungry right now. You don't have to make a show out of it, right? Jesus set such a beautiful example of prayer being part of the rhythm of of his life. But sometimes we think, well, prayer can only be that. It can only be the unplugging completely, going off somewhere quiet, like into a closet or into a remote area somewhere where we can just be alone, right? No kids around, no, no job, no phone ringing, none of that to interrupt us with our prayers. Sometimes we think we can't pray unless we can have that block of time like that now, it's good to schedule that block of time, whatever time works for you. I encourage you to set some time like that. For me, it's in the mornings when I first get up. I get up earlier and, and spend some time reading Scripture and praying. And, but that's not all the praying I do all day. But there's a scheduled time where I, I block off that part of the day. Can I get interrupted with that sometimes? Yes. But what do I need to do then? Get back to the rhythm the next day, right? Get back to it again. Everybody can have something come up that interrupts that. But you can always go back. And start that rhythm again. And it needs to be a regular part of the rhythm of your life. You schedule other things in your life, don't you? How many of you eat breakfast? Is that a regular part of your life? Raise your hand if you eat breakfast. If you're online, raise your hand. I can't see you, but raise your hand. All right. Okay. How many of you eat lunch? More people that raise your hand for lunch. You eat dinner in the evening and night, right? Supper, some people, depending on where you're from, right? Okay. Do you have that in the rhythm of your life when you eat? Yeah, why? Because you want to eat, right? You, you, you need to eat and you want to eat. Well, you should hunger for prayer more than that. Well, you've scheduled that into the rhythm of your life, right? You should hunger to have time with the Father. But more than that, Prayer doesn't have to be just that set-apart scheduled time like that. I love what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 how we can make it part of the rhythm of our lives all the time. Look at verse 16 to 18 in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray, what's that word? Continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So do you have to limit your prayer only to that set apart time if you're praying continually? No. 
Now, some translations say pray without ceasing. It means you never stop praying. Well, how in the world can you do that? Well, it depends on what you've been taught about prayer, right? Some of us have been taught that you can only pray by stopping what you're doing, bowing your head, closing your eyes, maybe folding your hands, and that's the only way to pray. But when you read about prayer in Scripture, there was no one posture for prayer. You could pray standing up. You could pray sitting down. You could pray laying down flat on your face. You could pray arms outstretched, arms bowed. You could pray anytime, anywhere, because it's simply communicating to the Father. That's what prayer is. Through Jesus Christ, you have direct access to go to God, to his throne, to God on his throne, and, and speak to him and have him speak to you. You can speak to him anytime. He can speak to you anytime, anywhere. I've talked about this before as your pastor. If you've been around very long, you know this. I hear people say all the time, well, the trouble in this country started when they took prayer out of schools. Friends, that's not when the trouble started. The trouble started when they took prayer out of the lives of Christians. In our homes, in our workplaces, and wherever we were, we weren't praying. See, they can never take prayer out of school when you teach your children the reality of prayer is they can talk to God anytime. It doesn't have to be, and, and I'm thankful it doesn't have to be a teacher-led prayer because we've got some great Christian teachers, but we've got a bunch of teachers that don't know God at all, don't know Christ, and I wouldn't want them leading my child in prayer. Would you? Of course not. So let's teach our children to pray for themselves. Where do they learn that? At home and in church. But if we're not doing it at home and we're not active in church, where are they going to get that? Nowhere. So you can talk to God in your heart and in your mind anywhere, anytime, and there's no force on this earth that can stop you from doing that. And our children need to learn that. And they need to see that example lived out in front of them so that they know how to pray like that. And even if the teacher never leads the class in prayer, they can pray all day long while they're at school. I can assure you a lot of them are praying when they get a pop quiz. Immediately they start praying. I know I did, right? I got to tell you, I pray all the time. I really do. I have an ongoing conversation with God all day long, every day. Now, sometimes I close a part of that prayer with amen, but do I have to stop talking to God just because I said amen? Amen doesn't close the door to heaven. It opens the door to heaven. It's saying, so be it, God, according to your will. That's what amen is. You're the one in charge, Father. That's, you, you can do whatever. That's the amen. That doesn't stop the prayer. It doesn't have to. Just keep talking to God all the time. I got to tell you this, guys. This is a confession on my part. Traffic in Nashville has increased my prayer life a lot. <laughs> Whew. I'm telling you. I'm praying more now than ever when I have to go somewhere in the car, man. I'm just praying all the time. And sometimes it's not, you know, what it ought to be, but sometimes it is. You see, time in prayer is never wasted. And it's available to you all the time. And in the name of Christ, you can always just have that connection to the Father where you can talk to Him. Now, some of you didn't have a good father growing up, and maybe you couldn't talk to your dad, and so this seems like an, an awkward thing for you to just say, I can talk to my dad anytime, anywhere, about anything. Uh, my dad wasn't particular. I, I love my dad, and I know he loved me. We didn't have that kind of relationship where we talked about everything all the time, but I never felt like I couldn't just whenever I needed to go talk to my dad, right? I had that kind of relationship with him. If I needed to go talk to him, I could. And if you've had that growing up, then it feels a little more comfortable to think about, well, I can do that with God. But if you haven't had that, maybe it's something you need to, to relearn or learn for the first time is that we have the kind of father who actually invites you to do that. He wants that from you. You know, the, the difference is I've, I've seen this sometimes posted on social media, the difference between religion and a relationship is in religion, you say, I messed up, I can't tell my dad. A relationship is, I messed up, I need to talk to my dad right now. Well, Christianity is a religion, but it's based on a relationship. So in the religion of Christianity, you have this relationship with God that allows you to go talk to him, and he encourages you to come talk to him anywhere, anytime, about anything. 
He doesn't want to do that so he can punish you. Guess what? If God wanted to punish you, he already knows what you did. He could punish you anytime he wants. Don't be afraid to go talk to him about this. Okay? Because he already knows. I grew up in a small town. It was that way with my parents, too. <laughs> I felt like I was, you know, kind of hesitant to talk to my mom and dad about something I'd done that was wrong. And, boy, I, before I even got the words out, like before I even got to the house, they already knew. That's the way a small town is, right? They already knew everything about it. And, and I didn't have much I could hide from them. Well, with our Heavenly Father, there's nothing you could hide from Him, but that shouldn't scare you. It should encourage you. Because even though he knows all those details, it doesn't change his love for you at all. Not one iota. There's nothing you could do ever that will make him love you any less than that he would send Jesus to die on the cross for you. That's never going to change. So know for sure in your heart you can go talk to him about anything. So that's the second step is schedule time to pray. By that I mean set a set time for, for prayer, but also understand that as a part of the rhythm of your day, you can just talk to God all day long. Now when I pray in the car in traffic, I don't bow my head and close my eyes. I think some other people must be doing that the way they're driving, but that's not what I'm doing. See, you don't have to pray that way. There's all kinds of postures for prayer. Now, there's some good to bowing your head before God. There's some good to kneeling before God or lying prostrate before God. There's a humbling part of that that's really good. But when you're not in a situation where you can do that, he still wants you to come to him because what gives you access to God is not your posture, it's your Savior. He's the one who gives you access to the Father. And that access is there all the time. So, set that time and make it a rhythm of your life. The third step is this, develop if you need some help with this, develop a guide to follow in your prayers. Maybe to start with, you need that. Every now and then, I go back to a guide just to, to get me back on track with some of my prayers. Uh, there's a lot of different guides out there, uh, and I can help you if you want to find some, but I want to share one with you today. It's based on the model prayer that Jesus gave us, okay? Uh, let's look at that model prayer first. It's in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9. Jesus starts out this way. This then is how you should pray. Now, when Jesus says this is how you should pray, I'm going to pay attention, right? He, he set the best example for us. He, he knows more about the Father than we could ever know. Uh, he's one with the Father. So if this is the way Jesus says we should pray, that's the way we need to pray. So he says here, now, now when he says this then is how you should pray, the mistake we often make is we take these words that he says right after that and use it as the only way we pray. We, we, we repeat this by rote memory, and we just say it over and over again as our prayer. He wasn't saying this for us to necessarily just repeat this exact prayer every time. He's giving us a guide to follow for how to pray. And here's what he says in the guide. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So let's stop there for a minute because there's different elements of that prayer that could serve as a guide where we could put these elements in the way we pray and, and in the rhythm of our prayer life, okay? Some people have used the acrostic of the word, uh, of the book of the New Testament, Acts, A-C-T-S, okay? And I think it's a good guide because this prayer really has all of these elements in it, this model prayer that Jesus gave us. The A stands for adoration. Our Father who's in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. You express adoration to God for who he is, for what he's done, for his faithfulness, for his love, for his care, for the blessings of the past, for the promises of the future. You just offer him praise for who he is. You give him your adoration. You adore him and you express that adoration to him. You see, when we start with that, what does that do to selfishness in prayer? Well, that can really get, get us refocused, can't it? It's hard to be selfish while you're expressing adoration to someone else. It's not about you when you're doing that. It's about him. So it changes the focus now of the rest of the prayer. The C stands for confession. Now, Acts doesn't do it in the exact order of the model prayer, but there's confession in the model prayer, right? He says, forgive us our what? Uh, forgive us our debts. Some translations say trespasses, whatever 
translation you want to use there. He's talking about our sins, our failures. Now, in order to pray that, you are confessing that you've done what? You've sinned, right? So that's confession. You say to God, before you ask for anything, I confess my sinfulness to you, Father. Now, that's easier to do when, you've, uh, when you recognize that you have first come into the presence of a holy God. See, when you come into the presence of a holy God, what stands out even more? Your sins. So once you've expressed adoration, you're acknowledging you're in his presence and, and giving him your adoration, then your sins are always exposed in light of his holiness, and that's the time you can spend confessing that before God. And he's saying for us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have done what? Forgiven our debtors. Well, there's another obstacle there to prayer, isn't it? If we're holding something against somebody else and have it forgiven them, how effective is our prayer for forgiveness going to be? Not going to be very effective, is it? So let's get rid of that obstacle. Let's confess our sin and let's be forgiving toward others so that we can be forgiven ourselves. So the A is adoration. The C is confession. Own up to our sins. Acknowledge them and ask for his forgiveness. The T stands for thanksgiving. You thank God that he's the source of every good thing that you have. The Bible says every good gift comes down from the Father of lights who doesn't change at all. He's, he's always consistent. He's always the same, and he provides the right things for his children, the things we need, the things that will bless us. So he says in his prayer that he's acknowledging how great God is. He's, he's acknowledging his sin in this model prayer, and he's also acknowledging that God is the source. He, said, he says to, to, to the Father, give us this day our daily bread. Well, he, he's saying then, God, I recognize you as the source of what I need today. So he also says it in the plural in this prayer. Did you catch that? Give not me my daily bread. What does he say? us so is it a selfish prayer just for you no do you want everybody to have their daily bread yeah give us this day our daily bread you are giving thanks to god as the source of those things that you need and then the s stands for supplication that's just a fancy word that means asking for what you need for you and for others supplication so that spells acts, A-C-T-S. That's just one guide. There's a lot of other guides. But supplication is the part we usually start with, isn't it? We start out, hey, God, love you. Give me this, give me that, give me this. Right. Right. Thanks. <laughs> and not only that, but we want it to be done with one prayer. Right? Not as a rhythm of life, but one time, let's get this done. God, take care of it. And that's not the pattern of Scripture either, and that's not making prayer the rhythm of your life. That's training God like Santa Claus. I give him my list, let him take care of it. That's all he needs. God is not going to be treated like that. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. If you want other guides, there's plenty of them out there, and I can help you find some others. But, but the idea is sometimes we do need some help with our prayer lives, especially if it hasn't been a part of the way we grew up or what we were taught growing up, haven't, haven't had a good example in your life. It's okay to say, hey, I need some help with this. I don't know exactly how to go about doing this. Uh, give me something. Give me some kind of guide to follow. And that's a good thing to ask for. It means you're trying to make this a rhythm of your life too. And God wants you to be able to do that. But I want to close with another step that I believe is one we fail in many times, especially in the American church, the way we've dealt with prayer. And that is to pray with boldness. With boldness. Uh, I think there are a lot of reasons we're not really bold in prayer, but, but actually I think the root of it is a lack of faith. If we really believe God is who he is, that he did the things we read about in the Bible before, that he hasn't changed and he's the same God, then why wouldn't we be bold in asking God to continue to do great things? Because that's the kind of God he is. If we believe that he is the God of the Bible, he's done great and amazing things throughout all of history. Why would we not expect that anymore if he's the same God? 
Why would we think less of God than the Bible reveals God to be? And a lot of times it's because we've never stepped out in faith and asked boldly with the right motivations, right? Seeking God's will and God's blessing, but be bold in our prayers. Now, there are reasons we can be bold, and I want to share a couple of them with you. One is because of the compassion and character of God. We can be bold in our prayers. In Scripture, it speaks of Jesus as our high priest. And, and we don't come, most of us, from a Jewish background, so that idea, that illustration may not resonate as much with us. But a high priest in the Old Covenant uh, for the Jews was someone who represented God to the people, and the people would go through the high priest to present their requests to God and to, to go before God with their needs. They would go through the high priest to do that. Well, under the New Covenant, Jesus is said to be our high priest. So now, to go to God in prayer, we don't need to go through an earthly priest. I have people ask me all the time, Pastor Randy, would you pray for me? And I will. I love to pray for people. But I have the same access to God that you have. You have exactly the same access to God that I do. If I go to God, it will be through whom? Through Jesus. And if you go to God, who will you go through? Jesus. It's the same access, okay? He's our high priest for all of us, not just for the pastor. He's the high priest for everybody. And, and here's what it says in Hebrews 4. Verse 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. All right, so here's what you need to hear him saying. Our high priest is who? Jesus, all right. And he says, our high priest is not unable, which means he is able to do what? empathize with us. Empathy, that's a word there that's translated empathize. It means to understand and feel what you are feeling and what you're going through. There's nothing you can go to God with that he will not understand your feelings, your emotions, your, your struggle, your pain, your hurt. He will understand everything you're going through. That's the kind of high priest we have. Now, why can he do that? Because he left heaven and he clothed himself in a flesh like ours and he lived on the earth and dealt with all the junk that we deal with here in this fallen world. That's why he understands and can empathize with us. You got somebody you love and care about that has turned their back on you? Jesus had that. You got physical struggles? Jesus had that. He was beaten. He was crucified. How much more physical struggle or pain can you go through, right? You got people you love that have died. Jesus had that too. Yeah, yeah all the struggle, right? All the, the hard things you go through, he can truly empathize with you. That was one of the reasons he came here in the flesh to start with. And so when you talked to him and came to him with the needs of your heart, he would understand those things completely. So, we've got a high priest who faced all those things. He was tempted in every way as we are. But there's a good side to this too, but yet without sin. That means he knows the best way to handle these things too. So that they don't bring the hurt and the pain and the destruction that the deceiver wants to bring into your life. He knows the best response to all of these things. What a high priest, right? What, what a great representative before the throne of God. It says in verse 16, because of who he is, his character, his compassion, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That word translated confidence also in some translations says, go boldly to God's throne. Confidently to God's throne. Why? Because it's not just you going to God. Who is representing you at the throne? Jesus, your high priest, is representing you at the throne of God. You can be bold not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Because of the representation you have in Christ before the throne of God. Go boldly because he says when we do that, we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of what? Need. Yep. We have someone who will go on our behalf to God himself, represent us well, so that we can be bold in finding help when we need help. The compassion and character of our high priest causes us to be able to go boldly, but there's another reason we can pray with boldness, 
And that's the help that he gives us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit in the church today, people go to one extreme or the other. Usually they're either talking about jumping pews and rolling in the aisles or they're talking about some far off thing that, that you can't, you know, have any real relationship with, you know. Uh, and the scripture doesn't go to either one of those extremes. In scripture, the Holy Spirit is God himself in spirit form. He is the Holy Spirit. God exists as the Father God the Father. He exists as God the Son as Jesus came and, and, and lived that out in the flesh. And He exists as God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He exists in all three of those. He is God the three in one. That's what the Trinity, the word Trinity means. Now the word Trinity is not in Scripture, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in Scripture. So that concept is there. That teaching is there. So here we have in Romans 8, beginning with verse 26, here's what He promises. Listen to this promise. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our what? All right, so you have to, if you want to get help, you have to admit you need what? Right, okay, you have to admit, I need help with this. So in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. How many times have you just said, I don't even know what to say. I've run out of words. I don't know what would be best here. I don't know what your will is in this situation. Okay, start there. Start there. That's a great place to start. You're admitting your weakness and your need for some help with this. He says, we don't know how to pray what we, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through word, wordless groans. Have you ever just grunted and groaned because you didn't even have the words? Just grieved before God, agonizing before God? And you felt like you didn't even get a prayer out, but you did. Because the Holy Spirit takes that. That's what he's talking about here. The Holy Spirit takes even that on our behalf. It says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with what? The will of God, God's will. You don't have to know God's will. The Holy Spirit knows God's will. You just have to know to go to God. You just have to know to humble yourself and admit your weakness and your need. And you don't have to know what the best answer is. God does. The Spirit does. And the Spirit will present it to the Father in a way that is in perfect harmony with God's will for your life. Sometimes people say, I just, I'm so embarrassed to pray because I don't know the right words to say. Well, that's the best place to start. As soon as you think you've got all the right words, you just messed up your prayer life. Have you ever heard somebody pray in a public church service and just thought, oh, what an eloquent prayer? I can't pray like that. And, and, but, but boy, that person can pray. So that person gets out. You know, they know I'm a pastor at every event I go to. So what do I get asked to do at every event? Yeah, Pastor, would you lead us in prayer? Yeah. Like somehow my words are going to be better than somebody else's words. And it is good to focus on learning to say what you need to say and say it in a good way and follow that guide for your prayer. It's good to try to learn that stuff. But here's the thing. Even when you think you've messed up everything and didn't say any of the right words, you didn't have to because who's working for you? The Holy Spirit is taking that Poor effort on our part, we think, and presenting it to the Father in the best way possible in perfect harmony with God's will for our lives. And here's what he adds to it. Verse 28. If it's according to the will of God, here's what he says. We know that in all things, how many things, what things? God works for the what? Good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If you just mumble and can't get the words out or think you said all the wrong words, but you did it in humility and you just went before God and made this a part of the rhythm of your life that you just express your heart to God regularly, the Holy Spirit will take that and do the rest that needs to be done with it. And God will do the rest in answering that prayer in the best way because he will work in all things in your life when you come to him that way for your good. If you love him and you've answered his call, on your life. Those are the ones who have the promise that God will do that for them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.
We thank you that in Christ we can come boldly to your throne of grace to find the help that we need. And Father, if we're honest and we need to be honest with you, <laughs> we just don't know most of the time what's best. We don't know past, present, and future like you know. We don't know how things would, would work if it went this way or that way. We don't know the outcome of, of some of those choices that people are going to make, but you do. We thank you for the presence and the power of your spirit who will deliver the longings of our heart to you, Father, in a way that's in keeping with your will. Because more than anything else, Father, we want your will to be done. And Father, as we pray right now today, we pray that if there's someone who needs, who needs what only you can provide, and all of us need that, but if there's someone who's not yet accepted your offer of grace and mercy through your son, Jesus. We're praying for them right now, Father, that they would surrender their hearts, their minds, their lives over to you completely. And that the cry of their heart would be to confess their sins and repent and turn from them. And that the cry of their heart would be to make Jesus Lord and Savior of their lives. And Father, we pray for those of us who already know Christ, that more and more the rhythm of our lives would be a rhythm of prayer that's pleasing to you that accesses your power on behalf of others, that leads to your will being done on the earth. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Just now as we stand and sing, we invite you to come up front if you need a church home to connect with, if you need to profess your faith in Jesus, if you haven't been baptized and you want to take that step today, whatever the need is, as we stand and sing, we invite you to come. a seat everybody I want to share some of these prayer uh, these are all uh, prayer and praise items that we want to share with you right here which is connects directly with of course the message today stand with me if you would uh, a few months ago he came you came and asked for prayer for your boss tell us his name again was Donnie Bryan right Donnie Bryan yeah. uh, and Donnie was not just a boss for him but a very dear friend and like a second father to him and uh he was uh, battling uh, serious health problems, and he did pass away yesterday. So we want to be praying for his family. Uh, and I know sometimes we think, you know, 
we say things like somebody lost their battle with cancer. Let me tell you something. If they died in Christ, they didn't lose any battles. All right? They didn't. They go on to something much better. That's the ultimate healing, friends, is going into the presence of the Father in the name of Jesus. That's the ultimate healing. And uh, we want to pray, though, there is a loss we feel here on this earth, and we want to pray for this family uh, and their time of loss. Uh, Amanda, come on up. Uh, Amanda comes on behalf of her family. Her uncle passed away uh, this past week under, under hard circumstances, and this is also uh, Becky's brother, right? Uh, so her mom's brother. So we want to be praying. Becky's here today, too. We want to be lifting this family up in prayer. Uh, the services will be Tuesday. I'll be doing those services there. Uh, be praying for this family. They're dealing with the loss and the grief and the hard struggle that they're going through right now. Here's Becky. Uh, just be praying for them as they go through this uh, hard time for the family and friends as well. And then uh, Rick, come on up. I think Rick is also sharing some good news with Fran, right? That uh, All right. Uh, Fran, thankfully, has uh, improved. Fran Cole, we've been praying for our Fran and Ollie Cole. Amen. And uh, she'd gone back in the hospital. Now she's back at a, a facility, a care facility. Uh, she's showing great improvement. The, the medical treatments they did at the hospital were much needed, and, and uh, they were able to figure out what was going on and, and help her a lot. Now, there's still a long road to go, and she's going through rehab, uh, physical and speech rehab and things like that. She has suffered a stroke and, and still battling other things with, with sugar levels and all that. Uh, so just keep her and Ollie in prayer. Uh, but I know Rick was sharing that good news with me earlier, and I'm so thankful. And Rick is continuing to minister to them through this time, Rick and Debbie, and we appreciate them doing that. And uh, she is able to, uh, to have visitors there at the facility. Uh, it might be good to check ahead and see what, you know, what's going on with their schedule. But uh, tell me again, she's at the uh, Hickory, Woods. Hickory Woods. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's a praise item, too. We want to just thank God for that. Ask for prayer when, when there are needs like this, but also give praise when there's good reports like that. That's all part of coming before God boldly uh, in our prayers. So we're thankful for all of these. I know there are other needs within the church family, too. We've got several families where they're dealing with cancer and cancer treatments are going through, things like that that are going on in different families as a part of our church family. Uh, other struggles that are happening with marriages and things like that. The needs are always there, but God is always there, all right? The throne of God is there for us to approach boldly, always with all things. So let's make sure we make that the rhythm of who we are as Christ followers, to boldly approach his throne regularly. So let's pray together right now. Oh, I also wanted to share, Brenda has shared, uh, uh, she came up and just wanted to share thanking God for answered prayers because she's seen, uh, even today, this morning, some answers to prayer and, and that she's been praying about. And so, so we could have, uh, I mean, I, if we had the time, I know we don't, but if we had the time, everybody here could probably speak to, if you, if you follow Jesus for very long in your life, you could speak to some answered prayer in your life. And uh, even when it wasn't the answer you thought or, or were looking for sometimes, you could still see answered prayer. Uh, I heard this a long time ago, that song, that country song became a hit, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. Now, that's a misnomer. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. What an unanswered prayer is, is God is giving you the answer either no or not right now. That's not an unanswered prayer. That's an answered prayer because in his wisdom, he knows that's not what needs to happen right now or maybe down the road, but that's not what needs to happen now. And that is still an answer to prayer. And we want to thank God for that. He always answers prayer. So let's pray together right now. Father, we lift up these needs to you right now. We know that you are a gracious, loving Father. We know that whenever we pray, even if we're not sure what to say, we thank you that your spirit presents our request to your throne in a way that's in accordance with your will. And Father, that's what we want. We want your will to be done because we know in your love for us, in your wisdom, you always know better than us what needs to happen and what's the best thing to happen. And you've already prepared in advance to provide whatever's needed with what happens. We thank you, Father, for hearing and answering our prayers on behalf of those that are struggling right now, on behalf of those that are celebrating good things right now, on behalf of your church family, on behalf of those in Ukraine. We just thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. And now we come around the Lord's table again as we do each Lord's Day. If you would, get your communion kits out. Just flip it over to the bottom and peel that back. You can get out the bread there. 
Now flip it back over and peel back the top layer so that you can get to the juice. This is what opens up our access to the throne. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross. You see, our sin would separate us from the Father. If it weren't for this, taking away our sin, we couldn't boldly approach God's throne of grace. But because he paid that price on the cross, he shed his blood, then we can be washed clean and we come before God clothed with Christ. Then we can be in his presence in Christ. And that's what we have to look forward to because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But we don't have to wait till then to have that access. We have that access now through prayer and the working of the Holy Spirit. So as we partake today, let's remember to thank God that we have through Jesus, we have made available to us his love, his presence, his power, his provision is right there for us through Christ. Let's pray and prepare our hearts to take. Father, we thank you that as we come around your table today, we take this bread, we remember the body that he was given. We take this cup, we remember the blood that he shed. And Father, we thank you that through that sacrifice, the price is paid, the sin is removed, and we can come boldly into your presence through him. We thank you for being the God of compassion that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.